got it right at the start of recording, so now I can actually hear what it sounds like, and I don't have to listen to more than five seconds of my own podcast. <laughs> what? Uh, uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Analytical Fanboys. I am uh, a person who does a podcast with another person, and it's about stuff we enjoy talking about. My name is Simeon the Vacuum Mayor Scott, and I'm joined, as always, by Chris Boingo Ryder Gaston. How are you doing today, you selective person? You? I almost forgot to put the adjective in there, so that's me forcing it in at the last second. I'm a good podcast host, I swear. Selective. Jesus, man. That's a weird fucking adjective, you weirdo. Hi. Hi. How you doing? I don't know. Maybe I just watched some inspirational boys doing some inspirational shit. Yeah, boy. I don't know why I fucking went there. That's... I'm having because an off week. It's been a bit of a wet fart of a week for me, so I apologize if I come off as down in this episode about something that should make me feel extremely up. Well, I mean, this this season did have a lot of downers mm-hmm. in it. This is kind of... This is definitely, like, definitively the act two of the story, where it's all about, like, struggling, you know? Act one is the... We're talking about Bakuman season two here. Uh... <laughs> In this season, it, we talked about season one before. It's about some boys who become friends in high school and decide they're going to make a manga together uh, so they can get money and fuck bitches. And Specifically they two bitches? One yeah. for each of them? Yes. They're very, they're very loyal boys. Yes, two very specific... Uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't say it. It's, it's uh, what do you call it? Uh, sexist to call women bitches. Two, two specific women people who they appreciate and care for a whole lot um, that they're going after. Uh, but they've got to become big-time manga boys in order to do that. And season one is the story of them starting to do that. And then season two is the story of them sort of struggling to continue on that path and encountering a lot of obstacles. Basically, they get hit in the face of, oh, wait a second, we just can't have fun making manga? We have to do this as a job? Uh-huh. Like... Pretty much the whole major through line of the season is them struggling with doing what they want to do and doing what um, the people they're working for think will sell books. And, and if I can quickly say this real quick. First time I ever watched this, because this is like the third, fourth time I've seen Bakuman in most of its entirety, I hated the new editor, Mira. I hated him. I just yeah, he like comes him. off as kind of a, a what what would be a good way to put it in artistically insensitive dunce at first. But but the more you watch it, the more you realize no, his heart is extremely in the right place. It's just in the wrong place for them. He just has he has different tastes in stories than they do. Yeah, because and he also- can't. He's not. He's not quite at the... Because he's a new editor. That's the point, is they're pairing up these brand new artists and writer with a new editor to try and make a superstar team, is what Shonen Jack is doing here. But he... 
he's he's too young. He doesn't understand about broadening his palettes and and widening his horizons yet. And he even goes about that in a very nice way because ultimately uh, the major the major storyline throughout the season is their first manga goes bust because of health reasons and it just never quite picked up back steam. Yeah, so, uh, Mashiro is the name of the artist, right? Yeah, he basically works himself to exhaustion and has to have part of his liver removed. He has the whole big old deal. He ends up in the hospital for a few episodes, and this is very, like, heart-wrenching, but also kind of inspirational when his girlfriend shows up. Yeah, and the chief editor basically goes like, all right, you're not making manga until you actually uh, graduate high school, so you don't have that on your plate. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of it was, he was the editor of his uncle who died making manga. And he's like, nope, I'm not doing that again. Mm-hmm. And that's a that, that's another thing that comes in this season. Like you think by the time you get to the end of season two, is like, oh, all the connections and all the backstory is kind of there. Now we're just doing a story. Uh no, there's a lot more like backstory and connections to Mashiro's uncle that is revealed throughout this season. Like uh later in the season, because I guess we're just gonna kind of jump around in this discussion when uh Takagi and uh, Miho get engaged and Takagi goes to meet the in-laws, we find out that uh, Miho's dad was Mashiro's uncle's best friend, and he almost doesn't let Takagi and Miho get married because of what happened to Mashiro's uncle. (laughs) Uh, You know what? The more you learn about the backstory of everything, the only person in this whole little group that does not fit in is Miho. No, not Miho, the, the writer dude. Uh, Takagi. Yeah, kinda. He's just he's just kinda the catalyst for the story. Yeah. Which is interesting because he's not the point of view character. It's usually Mashiro's the point of view character. Yeah. Even um, though they're both our main characters. But yeah, it's, this is a very double like thing where one of them is is sort of our guide through the story and the other one is sort of the one the story is about. Common writer double, I should say. Yeah, um, but ulti- but ultimately, their first manga gets canceled because health reasons and never quite picked up steam in the end. But you look in the background, it got it got like five volumes. That's a pretty sizable manga. Mm-hmm. It's a good good sized manga. They did some interesting things with it, and because of some things that they did near the end of that, their editor goes like, "Hey, you know what? You're actually pretty good at comedy." And it's been seen as a good track record of jumping from uh, genres between serializations. Maybe we should try that. It's a logical thing to go for. It makes sense from from an editorial point of view. It's like, hey, your last manga didn't do well. You're starting something new. Maybe try something completely new. And you've shown talent in this one thing. Let's try and explore it. Yeah, and then when they do go for it, they come up with this really kind of neat concept, but they very quickly discover when it comes to comedy, they're good at coming up with, like, a premise and a few gags, but they're not good at, like, making that last. Like, that's why they came off as so good as comedy and their more serious stuff, because it was every once in a while as a break from all the serious of their uh, their story. Yeah. Um... 
and like they also and like they hate most of the time that they're working on it but at the end they go like no i'm glad i worked on it yeah because it's like that's good experience for them it got them into that mindset of okay this is how we can do some comedy for it for our work uh yeah and also while that's going on like takagi starts to get really stressed out and like really strapped for ideas and he's not knowing what to do so he decides to reach out to one of the other uh the manga writers in what is it it's 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 one of their names it's team suffener uh it's the guy with the white hair yeah i know that i was trying to remember his name uh fukada yeah team fukada team fukada that's Fukuda. Fukuda. um it's it's the one it's the like the stuck up girl from season one who's kind of learned her lesson and is trying to also reach out to someone for help because uh, her editor has told her for for your next book, you need to learn how boys think about romance. You need to actually write for what boys want because you're writing for a boys magazine. And, and she can't go back to her previous artist because he's a dipshit and made her feel very uncomfortable. Yeah, like... Uh, he becomes a fuckboy this season. He goes full-on fuckboy. Like, I think there's a chance... There's There's a scene where she's like asking about possibly working together again with him um, and he's like he's on his his last chance in the manga industry and he's like well fuck it i'm just gonna do whatever i want and so his response to her asking him to work together again is well maybe i'd do that if you'd sleep with me and she just slaps him right away and that's one of the few moments in an anime where I've ever jumped out of my chair and gone, fuck yes. That is the correct response. But let's we could briefly talk about what every other manga artist and the other side characters are doing, because essentially they all have their own little character arcs going on in the background. Oh yeah, that's the thing. It's like there's the main plot of Mashihiro and Takage working on their plot, but then there's a Mashiro subplot... Game. Yeah, Mashiro and Takage working on their book, trying to get a comedy thing going and kind of failing at it. And then there's the subplot of all the romance shenanigans that's going on with Takagi. And then there's like five different sub-subplots with all the other manga artists. Like, there's a lot going on in this season, and it's really impressive. Like, Nezuma is continuing his uh, manga, and it's getting an anime, and it's going over huge, it's getting really, really popular... And um, Hattori, the editor who found Ashirogimoto, our main two characters, that's their co-pen name, basically gets this brilliant script, and he goes, this needs an artist. I know who to ask. Him. Because he can actually pull it off. Yeah. And so there's this whole, like, mystery and, like, conspiracy theory plot going on with them. Of them trying to hide in subterfuge and all this cool stuff. Uh, Fukiada, uh, Fukada, fuck it. Fukuda. Fukuda, 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 Fukuda. Fukuda is working on his manga and is just in the background kind of being like a Greek chorus for the whole organization, the whole group. It's a very like low key success. It's kind of like the sleeper hit out of all their books. Yeah. And eventually it gets to the point where he, uh, he's just strapped for ideas and he has his brand new idea and it's like, I want to do this instead. And the editor goes like, "All right, finish that up, and we'll start working on this." It was really cool. That doesn't happen a lot in manga, but because his was like 
not the most successful thing ever, but it was successful enough to turn a profit and consistently stay in its spot in the rankings. He's like, yeah, I'm confident that you could pull at least another one of those off. So if you want to switch to a new thing, we'll do that. Especially because the one shot he made got really popular. Mm-hmm. So that that's interesting. And then you have, like we said, um, uh, uh, Alki. Alki. Alki, her whole thing is basically learning to loosen up a little bit more, trusting other people, basically becoming a better artist through collaboration. And she basically does that by talking on the phone all night with Takagi several times in a row, which gets Takagi kind of in hot water with Miyoshi, who thinks that he's cheating on her until there's the big confrontation. No, I don't want to fuck him. We're just friends scene that is kind of obligatory, but it's it's really heartwarming in this show because that's also the moment when Takagi proposes completely spontaneously, but it, it comes off as really cool for a spontaneous proposal. And there's a little moment in that whole scene that was just like perfect of like, um, they're bickering back and forth and they're like typical manner that we've seen the whole time. Um, and he says something like, I could always find someone else. And Alki chastises him, like, what the hell are you saying? This is the, the you just proposed to her. And, and uh, um, fuck it, names. Miyoshi or Takagi? Miyoshi. Miyoshi basically goes, no, no, no. This is a joke. I know. This, this is just how we this are. This is just the way he talks. Yeah. And it's like, they are that in tune with each other that they know when, like, that's good. It's kind of that thing of, like, the difference between couples having a real fight and then you seeing a couple just kind of, like, play hitting each other and going, no, boo, don't. Yeah, but less cringy. Yeah. And then Um, there's Otterman, who just is trying to escape having to work on a manga because he realized, oh, wait a second, I don't like doing this. Yeah. (laughs) He just hates work in any form, and it turn- he is the most normie out of the group because all he wants is to get laid and have a nice wife to come home to at the end of the day. Like he, he, No matter what job you put him in, he's going to hate working, but if he has a nice wife to come home at the end of the day, it's going to be worth it for him. So he decides to start going off after Aoki, and his manager's like arranging tea dates for him and shit. Yeah, and their whole scenes are very much like they remind me of Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. It's it's the it's the hapless guy trying for something, and then the smart person going, "Hey, I'm just gonna trick you over and over and over and over again." Mm-hmm. Like until, until he tricks he tricks him into debt. The editor tricks him into debt, yeah. so he has to work more in order to pay it off. Mm-hmm. And see, that's the difference between anime and reality, because in reality, you do that to yourself. <laughs> that's, um, a, that's a self-burn, folks. Um, but, like, it's never done as, like, mean-spirited. It, yeah. You know, I don't think. It's very much done tongue-in-cheek as, like, ah, jokey joke. He's very much the comedy relief for the story, but he's the comedy relief in that you're rooting for him. Like, you want him to, to eventually find love and happiness. And he's, now, he's a nice counterpoint to the fuckboy. Yeah, he's, they're, they're pretty much exact opposites. 
Because Fuckboy's like, going for the girl, and he's like being a weird, weirdo, creepy. Is like, oh, this one he's constantly thing. gloating about how good he is, and like chastising other people for like, well, if you're gonna work on manga, you gotta be willing to get down in the dirt and fucking eat potato chips all night while you draw those lines, bro. And like, he thinks that his co-worker is into him, even though she is just being extremely polite, and you can tell extremely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and, uh... and then our otter guy, our otter mangaka, is like, no, I just want to know about her. And, yeah. and if I talk to her, I'm going to try and be as polite as possible. Yes, his version of polite is extremely goofy, but he's trying to be... You know what it is? And this is extremely uh, extremely topical. It's probably going to date this podcast a bit, but I don't care. It's the difference between somebody... It's the difference between a teenage boy who's going to pay for Belle Delphine's bathwater and masturbate into the cup and a 20-year-old guy who goes like, no, I get her comedy. It's really funny. I'd like to hang out and talk to her sometime. Yeah. Um, what else? There was another one. Oh, yeah. One of uh, Takaki's uh, middle school rivals in literature the, comes the, back. The girl from season one who thought she was dating him. And their, their whole dating was just, I see you did well on that test. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Okay, see you later. Yeah. And she was she, pissed off when she found out Takagi was dating Miyoshi. And he literally just went, well, I'm obviously going to pick Miyoshi over you. You're a bitch. Because you won't let me do manga. Mm-hmm. That was the whole point. She basically writes a whole book, and she meets Aoki. She, they're in the same, uh, uh, the same major in college, and she goes, wait, you do manga? Yeah. Why do you like manga? Well, I just like manga. Uh, yeah, my, uh, and she talks about, like, yeah, no, and I, uh, the manga I write gets sold in, like, a hundred thousand, uh, magazines a week, and she goes, the book I published only sold 30,000 copies, and she's like, damn, like, people actually read their shit. And, and keep in mind, like, she's doing the book stuff as a hobby, and she's, like, taking her academics seriously, so this is, like, a serious wake-up call for her of, like, Oh shit! You can make money being an art person. That doesn't yeah, and, compute. But okay. and she's getting respect for what they do because she's seeing what uh, her senpai in college is going through, and she's like, "Oh shit! This person that I'm looking up to is doing it, and the person I thought I looked up to and saw as an equal is doing it. Maybe there's more to it." So she basically writes a script for a manga, goes to an editor, and goes like. Uh, I want to try this out. I want she she takes the time to actually learn about the things she's been chastising for all this time, so she can actually have substance quality conversations about it. Which leads to kind of the best subplot of the whole season of her just constantly taunting Takagi and and being like, "I bet you want to get with this now, don't you?" And he's just like, "No, I'm getting married next week." And then she's like, "Well." Fuck you, I'm gonna try and get into Hattori's pants. <laughs> but Which is not- way more funny than it probably should be, because I'm willing, like, they're both of age, but I'm willing to bet she's like 10 years younger than Hattori. I think, honestly, I think I think Hattori is like, in the show, kind of like late 
twenties, like twenty eight, twenty nine, and I think she's nineteen, twenty. So close, closer than that, but you're close. Yeah, you're in the ballpark. But it's it's just hilarious how like he's constantly trying to talk about the manga and actually editing it, and she's like, "No, it's perfect. Look at my chest." <laughs> Do you like my dress? And he's like, it looks great for a person your age. I bet guys your age will love it. <laughs> and then there's that one episode where Mashiro and Takagi are following Hattori for a full day. And I see the meeting and they're just laughing their asses off in the booth across from him. Yeah. Because ultimately the comedy manga, does it, they go like, this is bullshit. We don't like this. We're, we're not having fun. We want to actually do something we feel like can be worth something. Because everybody that they trust their opinion has basically counted them out once this manga has started. Their previous editor is basically, in a speech, didn't even mention their new manga. Their rival, uh, the rival artist, Nizma, basically doesn't read it. He thinks yeah. it's beneath them. And that's like their huge wake-up call is like, if the guy who's our rival isn't even reading it, what's the point? And our biggest fan. He's their biggest fan. Mm -hmm. He sees them as a rival to make him better and because he just enjoys their work. Yeah. So basically they go, hey, can we just stop doing this? Uh, And the chief editor goes like, all right. But because you've been difficult several times already, this is your last chance. If this isn't going to be better than one of his works, one of Nizama's uh, works, you're not going to get serialized. You're out. You're, we will annul your contract. And it's like, it's a big deal that they make this bet, too, because Takagi just got married, so now he's got basically a family to think about. But, and it's, it's not like, oh, we can just go to another magazine. They're, they're going to have to fucking apply to another magazine the same way they did Jack. And they're probably going to have to change their style, too, if they go to another magazine. So it's a big flipping deal for them to do this. And they just barely hit it. Yeah, because they go through basically a training montage arc, I guess. Yeah. Basically, they have three chances to get a new uh, work serialized. So they take one of their old previous one-shots and revamp it a little bit. And they thought it was good, but too complicated. So then uh, Mira suggests, okay, do the most simplest, uh, bare-bones fantasy manga you can think of. Think One Piece, like, but simpler. And they go like, okay, that's not really our shtick, but... By this point in time, they've built up a trust because they both re- they all realized, yeah, making you do gag manga was a dumb idea. And that didn't even get looked at. Yeah. They said, like, no, this is boring. No. Well, and no, then, I think it's like they're, in a, they're, he, they're going to show it to Miura, and then Miura's like, I'm not even going to look at this. This was just a test for you. Also, and, I've been working with Hattori the whole time. Here's what we're actually going to do. And Hattori basically says, like, all right, you know that gag manga? You want to know why it seemed like you were good at it, but you weren't? It's because it's not the main focus. 
if you make it like this weird abstract idea of taking a serious thing, making a funny thing serious, it'll work for your style and be a good gag manga. And they're all like, oh shit. Yeah, that's a thing that no one else can do but us. So they figure out, okay, we got we got the tone. How do we make it? Mm-hmm. And that's when they follow Hattori and they figure out, oh, we just make a manga about people committing petty, nonviolent crimes. That don't affect anyone really, but are technically illegal and kind of goofy and out there. It, it, and yeah. They- and they come up with Perfect Crime Party, a.k.a. PCP. Uh, a not-so-great podcast, but a pretty good manga. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. I'm firing those shots with my five views per episode. What? We, you've been fire, we've been firing those shots for several months now. That's fair. But it's like the one... It's like, uh, it's like that one um, fucking manga artist from middle school that started doing a three-page doujin in a magazine and saying, oh yeah, no, I taught them everything I they know. <laughs> we, we're good friends. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, I forgot about that guy. That guy's the best. Yeah. And by the, the best, I mean the worst. He he is the next level fuckboy. Yeah. He is, he is fuckboy Omega version. Yes. Um, and basically... Perfect Crime Party gets in, and they go like, "All right, this is really good. Let's serialize it." And then the editor goes, editor in chief goes like, "No, wait a whole lot of second. Can this be Nezima?" And they're like, "Shit, we thought you forgot about that." <laughs> I think I think they were like the audience forgot about that, but I I don't think they were thinking he would forget about that. That's not how that scene played to me. Yeah. Um, but basically they hold a vote and it's no. And then one person goes like, you know what? Fuck it. They have potential in this idea. I think yes. And then everybody else except the editor in chief starts going like, yeah, no, this could beat it. And then they get serialized. Yeah. Entirely on people going, well, we don't want to fire these guys. We like them too much. And they got potential. Mm -hmm. They're, they're betting on, Chapter 600 being better than Nezima Edgy than Chapter 1. Yeah. And that's that's the important key. And uh, that's, that's pretty much the season is they get serialized and they get a pretty high ranking for the first chapter. And then there's one of the most emotional scenes in an anime ever where he fucking takes the thing that shows they're at the top of the chart for the first chapter and shows it to his uncle's grave. And his uncle's ghost appears and is like, oh, that's cool. Let's see how Do you it again. chapter five. Yeah, because that was a big thing that he wanted to do. He wanted to accomplish what his uncle never could, which was continue being serialized for more than one work and have a work be number one. Mm-hmm. And that's always been like one of the underlying things. It's like, no, we want to be number one. We want to be the best. And they and he shows him the uncle and it's like fuck that's a great scene because the uncle goes like, all right good job. Now and do it again. He's fucking crying his eyes out in the background. It's oh yeah man, it's just good. It, it's good shit. It it it, it is. It's good I, shit. I, it's such good shit. It's such good shit. <laughs> yes. 
I can't wait for Dean Ambrose to come out and act this out on the next episode of Raw. Uh, for people who don't get the joke, go watch Modular Media Wrestling Podcast uh, yeah. every month. Yeah, even though the, I think that gets more views per episode than this does. Really? Yeah, the last one got 15. Damn! Nice! Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was the second season of Bakuman. And uh, I liked it a whole bunch. I, I really dig this show. Um, it's a good, I, it's a good, it's, it's taking an artistic process and turning it into a sports manga. It, 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 that really does sum it up quite nicely. And it's, it's such a solid show. Like, there's moments in this where you are invested in and cheering for these characters in ways that I really only cheer for characters in, like, common writers. You know what I'm saying? And it's, 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 it's it's like, it's very much like that hero story, but put into a very everyday work environment. Like, and there's so many lovable characters, even the characters that we go like, you, like, they're a fuckboy. They're, you're pissed off because you like them so much, you don't want them to be a fuckboy. Yeah, it's like, I'm pissed off at the big fat fuckboy for saying I'll work with Aoki as long as she sleeps with me because I, I've watched this show and I've seen the choices that have led him from this kind of cool side mentor character to this guy who is on his, his, la- his like third last chance and is making all the wrong choices w- with it. And even went so hard to convince Aoki in the first place to do the a, their first manga and basically he went through hell he yeah. showed you know what i want to i want to work with you and he and in his mind it was also a romantic gesture mm-hmm. and that's where it started slipping yeah it was i want to work with you and i want to fuck you rather than i want to work with you because i want to work with you yeah and that's where everything gets a little weird for him and Ultimately, the, the his last scene is nice in that regard because it goes like, "Yeah, no, I fucked up. Yeah, I fucked up hard. Oh, I, I forgot. He has that here. whole basically self banishment scene where everybody's going like, "No, we'll give you another last chance. It's okay. You don't have to leave." And he's like, "No, I am samurai. I must go into exile now." Uh, and the sad thing is, then you see season three. Uh, oh, that's that's gonna be a thing. Should, uh, have, have we put season three onto the list? Uh, I, know... I, I was leaving it up to you because you're the one who originally put the show on the list. So I just assumed you'd keep re-adding it as we go. Yeah, so let me put that on real quick. Where's the fucking list? There it is. I accidentally clicked on the MMWP bullshit. Okay. But, uh, okay, boop, uh, Bakuman, Season 3, Sug, Chris. I will. Alrighty, there we go. Alright, and, uh, I think that about covers it on this season. It's just a really solid second act. Uh, yeah, even some of the new characters. The new new characters they introduced this season because there's some from previous season that 
that kept on uh, uh, did all those kind of uh, all the manga artists and everything. But then we have one of his their first assistants, who basically goes like, "Yeah, no, I want to be a manga artist too." And he comes. Oh, up the kid with the dog! I forgot about the kid with the dog. No, no, no. The other guy, the guy who um, uh, the, one of the first art uh, assistants. Oh yeah, kid with the dog is season three. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, the guy who um, eventually makes the lawyer manga in season three. Yeah, that's right. That guy's cool. Because he's like, he be, just becomes her friend. It's like, yeah, no, I just really want to make a manga. And I trust you guys as like companions, as like artistic equals. And, and they're like, another, yeah, no. And that's another thing about the assistants. I like how they're constantly shifting around. Like, it's very much what actual manga production is probably like. It's like these career assistants who are constantly switching between different teams and being friendly with different people who are their boss, their old boss's rival, and also at the same time trying to workshop around an idea they have for a story. Yeah, like uh, the professional assistant from the first group who did uh, Detective Trap, mm-hmm. who's basically a career man. He gets paid 30, uh, 380,000 uh, yen to do a gig. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think it's per month. I think it's maybe like per year. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe and, it is per uh, month because that's about yeah, that's about thirty eight thousand dollars per. I don't know. Or a glasses girl who goes from helping out uh, Mashiro and Takagi to uh, helping the other assistant who gets his own manga out to helping Fuckboy oh. out for a little bit, and then eventually ending up with Aoki. <laughs> Yeah, because Alki goes like, yeah, no, I've been hurt by too many fuckboys. I only want girls helping me out. Mm-hmm. She wants her workplace to be kind of a safer space. Yeah. And it Which legitimately, is- it seems like they're off having, all those women are off having their own cute girls anime in the background. And yeah. I'm like, can I get that spinoff, please? <laughs> uh, but like, and it's really dope because at the end, they go like, all right, you got a new serialization and a new editor. And everybody's goes like, oh, you got a, we got a new editor? And then you, they just hear a knock on the door and Hattori comes in and goes like, hello, I'm your new editor. And Surprise, they're like, bitch. I bet you thought you'd seen the last of me. And they're like, fuck yeah. And they're like, oh shit, Mira, we just started liking you. <laughs> and Mira's just like, it's, it's fine. I got other places to be. And he's like, yeah, no, he's better at honing your skills. I was only like, he was good at getting them to that place. If Hattori had been their editor the whole time, they would not be as good as they were right then. Yeah, it's, it's, about, it's about the journey, not the destination. Because honestly, I have a spoiler and preview for a video I may make in the future. I believe that every single manga they create has a direct impact for the character, and I want to talk about that in the video one day. Ooh, that could be cool. Yeah. be a bit of a long one for you, but it better be cool. Oh, yeah. But it, 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 it's really neat. It's really good. Yeah, it's just a, it's a good, solid show. I mean, like, the only really kind of disparaging thing I could say about it is, like, there's no really amazing animation moments, but it's also not a story that calls for, like, huge Sakuga moments or anything like that. No, it's a this very talky a, anime. Yeah, it's a show that's about the dialogue. It's not about the action. And that's partially why there was a live-action movie version of it, and it was pretty good. 
Oh, really? I didn't know. I should maybe check it out at some point. It, it, it adapts basically the first season it, mm. until when they start serializing Detective Trap. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, maybe I'll look into that at some point. But uh, for now, uh, Chris, you want to get into some what we've been up to this week? Um, Sure. Chris, what have you been listening to this week? Well, hold on. Let me get back to the fucking, my <laughs> fucking bullshit. So, I've just been putting music into my playlist that I live by and die by. Uh, for brand new listeners, I don't, I don't browse YouTube. I find the video and I just put it into a playlist, and I put that playlist on shuffle when I watch shit. So, I like to imagine. When you have, when you're not immediately having to do something in the morning, in the morning, the first thing you do when you get on the computer is go on the YouTube homepage, scroll through the whole thing, watch latering everything that interests you, and then for the whole rest of the day, you're you're in your watch later playlist. Well, not far off. Cool. Yeah, uh, my playlist right now is sitting at 292 videos, so. Damn. Yeah. Um, so I've been putting stuff in there, so I've been listening to that. Uh, first thing is uh, one of my favorite mindless self-indulgent songs, Own Personal Jesus. Uh, or hmm. just Personal Jesus. And I realize why it's my favorite. Because if I were ever a professional wrestler, that would be my entrance theme. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The lyrics are basically just reach out and touch faith your own personal Jesus. And it's basically, it's basically a brag song about going like, no, I'm your personal Jesus. That's cool. And like, it would just be a dope fucking, uh, wrestle song. So let me pull that up so you can get a quick little jab listen at it because it's only two minutes. And boop. And the boop, 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 bop, beep, bop, it's bop, bop, it's boop, boop. Look at me, I'm scatting. Hey, but that's a song. It's Mindless Self Indulgence is one of those bands that I just really enjoy, even though I know they're kind of trash. <sighs> yeah, they are pretty cool. Yeah. I think, like, everybody's got at least one mindless self-indulgence song they like. Oh, yeah. But I like all of them, so. But, yeah. Uh, I've also been listening to uh, some Mighty Mighty Boss Tones because they're just a dope-ass ska band. Um, specifically, the impression that I get, which is one of my favorite songs. Because it's, uh, it's a whole song about empathy. It's just about, like, yo, I haven't been through tough shit, but I know people who have, and I sympathize with them. And I, and I, and I go, like, yo, that was tough shit. I'm not sure if I can, tr- I can do that tough shit. They're tough. It's like, great, yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, Fear and Delight by The Correspondence. I've not heard of The Correspondence. Um, I've only listened to a couple of their songs, but here's the song itself. It's kind of a electro swing, 
um, it, that has like a techno breakdown <laughs> for the bridge. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And it's really good. It's really good, solid stuff. They uh, the music video is pretty dope because it's a dude walking around in a circle, and there's like multiple of them, and it kind of looks like those old, um, those old, old, old antique forms of animation where it's on a, sp- a spiral and you spin it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I've also been listening to uh, the latest batch of four producers, one sample from uh, Andrew Huang. Uh, he got he basically has a series where he bring, brings in four electronic producers and basically gives them one sample that they have to use in a song and they go like and the challenge is they all have to make a song out of it. I said four, but it's three producers and himself. Nice. So like all that kind of stuff is dope. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting concept. Yeah, especially because they all take it in different ways. Like one guy took it and made a couple instruments and used it to make a song. One guy said, like, all right, here's the challenge. I am only going to use the sample. I am going to make – I'm going to use no other excess instruments, none whatsoever. And, like, one of them makes, like, an acid housey kind of uh, track. It's a lot of interesting stuff. And I'm not saying watch it now because it's a pretty long video, but I'm sending it to you in case you want to later. Mm. Um, I've also been watching the brand new music video for the song Deja Vu. Who is this by? You know exactly what it is. It's that Deja Vu. Oh, it's that? It's fucking... Oh, okay. I didn't know they made a new video for it. Yeah, it was released two weeks ago. It was made in 2019. God damn. The dude basically went like, you know what, I'm just going to make a music video for this old song. Because it's one of the biggest memes ever now. Yeah. So, that's been fun. Uh, Andrew WK, party hard. Can't go yeah. wrong with Andrew WK. Andrew WK is the fucking man. Uh, and I love how that guy like started off as... He started off as a rock guy, but then his fucking... One of his songs got so popular that he just decided to become a performance artist for like 20 years and then randomly went back to rock. Yeah. He did a whole fucking album of Gundam covers. Ugh. The mad lad. He is the maddest of lads. But mad in, like, a happy way, not in, like, a crazy, upset way. Oh, yeah. Like, his whole Twitter is just him tweeting out random shit that's happened to him. And then, like, talking, and then, like, spinning that into life is a party, life is cool. Like, I think one of his top-rated tweets is, just pissed on my hands, life is amazing. Um, And I've also been listening to... um... One song by KMFDM, World War, uh, World, WW3, World War III, um, is pretty dope, and it makes me want to listen to more KMFDM. They're like an old um, fucking industrial band. They started in the 80s. Fuse so brought like, them up a couple times, so I do want to check them out, if only to get the references, but 
I don't. Uh, here's here's the song I listen to, so you can watch uh, listen to it later because it's a pretty big intro. But they also uh, Bennett the Sage uses one of their songs as his intro. I don't know if he's using it anymore because he's kind of rebooted his show. Oh, um, that was his like. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's KMFDM. Nice. Okay, I might like them then. Yeah, it's it's industrial, but it also has like bits of kraut rock. That kind of like, there's that element in there. More 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 specifically, like Kraftwerk, which is a great band. I think everybody should go listen to Kraftwerk. <laughs> they're the they they're, they are the original oh, Daft Punk. They're the original Daft Punk. <laughs> yes, they are, and I don't know why I'm seeing so much all the time. Because you're smelling some bullshit. Yeah. Which is my general disposition. I'm a fucker. <laughs> he turned his mic off so he could sneeze in the privacy of his own house. I'm just going to keep talking so we don't have dead air because he never truncates My face the... was right by my mic and I didn't <laughs> want to blow my nose right into my mic. He, he never truncates the silence. Why would I do that? That's not real shit. You want real shit. Dude, I always truncate the silence in MMWP. Because if we didn't, it'd be a three-hour podcast. MMWP confirmed for not real shit. Dude, it's wrestling. But it is good shit. (laughs) It's It's wrestling. It's kayfabe. Say it together now. MMWP. It's such good shit. It's good shit. Good shit. (sighs) But yeah, that's what I've been listening to. A lot of smattering pits and bits and pieces. No albums, but kind of a been a single mood this week. Well, I've actually been really light on media in general this week because I've been super busy doing a whole lot of nothing, I think is the best way I would describe this week. Uh, but I did listen to, to one song I hadn't listened to in a while this week, and it's a pretty obscure tune, but it's it's funny that you would bring up that one song that you said would would be your wrestling entrance theme. Because for the longest time when I was a teenager, American Hero by Ron Wasserman, yes, that Ron Wasserman who did the music for the first six seasons of Power Rangers, that was the song I wanted as my wrestling entrance theme when I was a teenager, and I didn't really understand wrestling. Um, Good. I'm which proud is of so obs- which is such an obscure like dad rock half-assed song that it was that it was only released through Guitar Hero and Ron Wasserman's website. So the only YouTube uploads of it you can find is people playing it on Guitar Hero or Rock Band. I'm sorry, like there's a big difference. No, this is Guitar this. Hero. I'm per- no, this is Rock Band. No, fuck, I've been forever since I played those plastic instruments. Yeah, but it's it's a really generic, like, just, like, this is what 80s action movies are about. Like, generic badass song. And it's like, yeah, if I was a wrestler, I'd probably be a mid-carder and I'd come out to this. Yeah, see, here's the thing. You're coming out to this. I'm coming out to a song that's saying, I'm your own personal Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, praise me. Oh, yeah, like, you're a main eventer. I'm a mid-carder. Like a cross between uh, Straight Edge Society, CM Punk, and Bray Wyatt. Mm-hmm. And I'd I... also have a little bit of like partial, I'm an influencer on social media. And because it's more of like, oh no, no, 
Trust me, I know you. You watch my videos. You know who I am. You can trust me. Mm-hmm. Playing up that parasocial relationship bullshit. Whereas I pro- whereas like because this was before I was I really knew anything about wrestling, so I thought wrestlers were totally divorced from their real life selves. So I was thinking of as they just gave me they like tried to give me a more badass hardcore Hulk Hogan character. And it didn't get over that well, so I'm stuck in the mid card for life. <laughs> uh, yeah. I want. I know what I want to do. Like get some money. I want to go to wrestling school. I want to actually try and learn some. I would love to do that. I think maybe if like I can actually get in a good financial situation after I finish out school for the thing I'm about to go back to school for, I might like. If this is at all possible, I have no idea. Like, try and do, like, a weekend warrior, go back to school for wrestling kind of a thing. Yeah. Like, you just gotta, you just got like, here's the thing. I know I have a certain tolerance. I know I have a tolerance for pain, so I can probably do it. I don't know about you, bro. I don't know about me either. I think I'd have to try it to find out. You'll have like, to do a couple back, back bumps in quick succession, and then you'll go, like, you'll either be like, oh, yeah, no, I can do that, or nope, fuck it. I think it, I just think it would be very fun to like, because the thing I'm planning to go back to school for would basically have me in an office job. I think it would be very fun to have like, hey, you're the only guy in the office who never talks about his weekend plans. Where do you go on the weekend? I drive three hours on Friday night to stay in a hotel and go to wrestling school on Saturday and Sunday. And then I drive back Monday morning and go straight to work. What? Yeah. Okay. And then it eventually becomes, no, I drive five hours to go perform in front of 20 people. Yeah. You know Jim Sterling's a professional wrestler? I did not. That's cool. His character is a ripoff of Stardust. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it's a, it's a perfectly, it's a per, it is purposefully, ironically a ripoff. Like, that's the joke. Mm. But it's great. All right, well, before we talk too much about wrestling and this just turns into an MWP side episode, it's such a shit. Um, Chris, what are you, what are you that's, even watching? That's the, name of, that's the name of the next MMWP, It's Such Good Shit. Yeah, two months too late, we do the episode called It's Such Good Shit. Yeah. Uh, but Chris, what have you been watching this week? Well, um, I've been watching a lot of shit. Specifically, I've been watching the preview for Kamen Rider Zero One. Oh, yeah, the fir- our first ever Reiwa Rider Boy. I know in Japanese that ma- like that name is like, no, that's a normal name. It's in something English- like Peaceful Transcendent Sunshine Times is what it translates to, I think. But in, like, with the- in English, it sounds like it's missing a syllable. Mm-hmm. Because Reiwa. Because it sounds like there's nothing hard in the middle to, to, to like, bind it. Because we've gone from shh. Owa to Heisei to Reiwa. Yeah, like it has a similar Showa thing, but Showa also had the strong beginning to hold it together. Showa. But this just. Reiwa. So I'm going to ask the important question first and get it right out of the way. What do you think of Toei's very brave choice to make Microsoft Sam the belt voice this year? <laughs> I mean, he hasn't had much roles lately. Uh, it's kind of cool to see a veteran actor come back into the fold. <laughs> yeah. 
no. I think it. I think it's kind of. I think it's kind of neat to have like a retroy style, especially because the rest of it is the rest of the series seems to be a very much a a Showa throwback. It's very much like let's take the core elements of a Showa series and do them today. But it's also doing a very futuristic story. Like it's it's funny. I was talking with somebody on Twitter the other day. Like it's being written by X Aids writer, which of course is going to have the both of us very excited. But it sounds like a Gen Urobuchi concept. Like it's so, it's like ten years in the future or something like that, where androids are commonplace and they just do all jobs. All jobs are done by androids now. And it's a teenager who becomes in charge of the android company. And then he finds out that, like, androids may be a secret evil plot to take over the world. And there's these two terrorist common riders who are hacker, like, 90s hacker kind of characters who are trying to... T- they're 90s the hacker, but through, like, Japanese street fashion. It's like, fuck yeah, I, I want to wear that shit. Yeah. Um... Uh, which which leads me to I have to ask the other most important question: uh, Which team are you on? Android Assistant Girl or Common Rider Valkyrie? Which which Valkyrie. one's your waifu? Give me a Punch Girl. Yes, good man. Also, Valkyrie and Vulcan apparently have a cat and dog motif, which nobody pointed out to me until after the trailer came out, and I was like, oh yeah, I can see that. These, yeah, she's a jaguar and he's a wolf. Mm-hmm. But um, the main rider suit looks fucking choice, tasty, crisp, like an like, apple. I've recently gone like I don't like figure arts. I think they're they're not a toy line that's for me. That's a suit I could see myself briefly getting back into figure arts for. Though the RKF does look good enough. It looks really good. Everything looks solid. It's. Because in Common Runner, we've gone pretty far in terms of aesthetics. And I think that started with Gaim. Common Rider has, well, I would say it almost started like as soon as the post decade era happened. Like we, we went to the double was pretty like, calm. O's had a nice solid concept with the black and the colors on top. It was nice. But we've kind of gone through, there's, there's different motifs, but everybody generally kind of looks, has that same bug man look established by the original seven to, this is just a straight up anthology series now. Yeah. But like, I think Gaia really started ramping up the aesthetic mm-hmm. and then you, and then you had drive, which was like, whoa, Okay. It's basically Cardboard. just dudes wearing car-themed common or car-themed Iron Man armor. And then you have X-Aid, full of the 90s glory that he is. Yeah, he literally just looks like a live-action cartoon. And then yeah. fucking Build is, is back to kind of normal Heisei aesthetics. Build is double, but on like 20 cans of Monster. Mm-hmm. And then fucking Geo. I don't even know where to place Geo. It feels it's it's very much we're trying to smash the time motif into all the other motifs of Heisei. They wrapped they wrapped a hundred watches onto a bat and they're bashing you over the head with it. Yeah, <laughs> like it is not subtle. It is it is the show for watch cola. I. I, I still can't get my head... Or, like, it's weird. I'm so into, like, nerdy shit, like Transformers and Kamen Rider and all that, 
that like whenever somebody brings up like old school t- style of collectors like stamps or bottle caps or coins or fucking watches i'm like people collect watches what but yeah i think that is the common rider show for watch collectors <laughs> what a weird weird small demographic mm-hmm. but uh no this new guy he looks slick he looks like there's no extra stuff and i like how simple the belt looks too it's it, it's, it's a throwback it's hmm. it doesn't it, like i'm sure it'll figure out a way but it doesn't all it doesn't very blatantly look like oh yeah you're gonna have five things stacked on top of each other sticking out of this by the end of the show because <laughs> it, it's it's literally just this little chrome thing on the side with some lights popping out and then a, a thing in the middle that you stick a cassette tape into. Like, they're called the progress keys, but they, they're cassette tapes. They look like cassette tapes. Yeah. They look cool, though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm yeah. hype. Yeah, I think it'll be good. I'm very much looking forward to uh, randomly roping in Jacob Brody for another view-grabbing first episode discussion. Gotta get them clicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've also watched episode five of Gao Gai Gar. Ooh, you're just moving through it. Yeah, um, it, the, uh, Enrio and, uh, Chenryu, or whatever their names are, they finally showed up. Oh, the two, the two, like, samey boys who combine into one big samey boy? They didn't turn into the big boy, but they oh. should, but, but basically the whole, their whole story is that they were AI created to help Gao Gai Gar, uh, fight the Zonders. Um, but they were never able to transform. They were stuck in their car modes. And they were like, you know what? We want to help anyway. We're, 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 we're proud people. We want to fight and help. And, and everybody's like, yeah, they can, you know what? They can go rescue people. That'd be dope because a big monster is attacking. And they go help. And like shit goes south. And they're going like, oh shit, we need to transform. And then the little uh, fairy boy who hangs around goes like, Oh shit! He does his magic shit, and they get like extra power. Now they're able to transform, and they fight the monster. And it's dope. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, it's really cool. That's like, oh man, that that takes me back to a time when you didn't have to show everything a toy could do in the first episode you introduce it. Like, remember when it would be like two or three episodes before the Zords formed into the Megazord in a Sentai? Ooh, yeah. Now but, um, it's like, no, we, we do we do Zords, we do Megazord, and also here's the first auxiliary episode. There's there's literally 30 seconds left to resolve the plot of the pilot. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I also watched the third episode of Future GPX. All right, how's that going? Um, basically, uh, the, the kid has to drive the race car, but he's a kid. And he's not trained to take the G-forces in a race car. So he's doing horrible. Hmm. But he's the only person who can drive the race car because it recognizes, like, the DNA or the retina of the person. And, like, any other person can't drive it. Hmm. Okay. So he's doing all this shit. He's trying to get it. And eventually he starts getting the hang of it and he does an okay time. But but he doesn't get a good enough time to get him into the actual race. Uh, but a person failed. <laughs> so he becomes the 20th. Like, he was 21 out of all the people, and it was the top 20. 
So I the see. one person fails, and he gets into the 20th position, and is like, oh shit, you did that through clutch. <laughs> but, like, he's improving, and it's really cool, and the car's dope, and everybody's behind them, but uh, they're all also going, like, shit, he's a kid. We're not sure about this. Which is, like, to his face, they're going, like, no, no, you can do it. We believe in you. He's like, what the fuck are we doing? Shit, fuck. So, it's pretty cool. Um, Episode 2 of Zillion. Ooh, tell me about Uh, Basically, the whole team's now together, and they're interacting. Um, The red guy, who's not the... There's no definitive leader. They're very much like a a trio of just, like, we're all helping each other. The red guy, who wasn't at the first meeting uh, and just showed up late, is doing some training stuff, and and, uh, the other dude is going, like, bitch motherfucker can you take this seriously why are you being like come on come on we're trying to save people and he's like yeah no i get it but like this is just a training exercise we don't need to take this seriously and all that and they're bickering and bickering and bickering um a power plant gets attacked and basically they learn the power of teamwork but they by trusting each other and they Hmm. go through this tunnel and there's a dope action scene because they they uh, all their motorcycles have like a sidecar but there's no seat in it, so they just sit on this top of this giant metal orb attached to a motorcycle with a handle on it. <laughs> no safety belt, nothing, and it's hilarious. I was gonna say, that sounds very safe. Um, because ultimately, what they do is they stand up on the orb and hook their foot into a bar so they can shoot. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing, but it's hype. Uh, I would imagine so. So, and there's just some cool fight scenes, and and it's basically like one of those like the teams trying to learn to trust each other kind of deal. Mm. That was dope. Um, Votums. I've watched episode two and three. Nice. Um, I figured out what the tagline for this anime is. It's "fuck this guy" in particular, <laughs> because this guy gets transferred to a. A, a unit who's doing a crime. He is. He gets captured by his, his superiors, and they go like, "Okay, tell us how they did the crime." And he goes like, "I don't know. I just arrived there today. I don't know this shit. I don't know where they're going. I don't know nothing." And they go like, "You're lying," and they torture him for weeks. He escapes. Sounds he like did. a good idea to get information out of him. He then gets shanghaied by a criminal organization to work on a mine. Now he's a slave. My but goodness. he breaks out the slaves and they escape. Except like one of them's kind of sneaky and doesn't help him out, I think, if I remember right. I might be remembering wrong. But basically, he's running away from this gang of marauders who are straight out of Mad Max. Nice. So it's Gundam and Mad Max had a baby. But they're chasing him. And he finds this old, broke-down, beat-up version of his mecha. Hmm. So, so he crawls in and closes it shut and goes to sleep for the night. And he wakes up and this old dude is like, hey, wake up, fucker. Um, hey... I want someone to pilot one of these things to beat up those gang of assholes. You want to do it? And he's like, no, I don't want to. I just want to get out of here and solve why I was framed for a crime. 
I want like that whole thing. And the guy's like, all right, sure, whatever. I get it. But uh, you don't really have anything to do here. And he's like, yeah. So they start repairing one of the votums so the guy can use it and eventually help help them out as like thank you for it. Like he gets the votum and he goes like, all right, cool. I'll go beat up the shit for you. Hmm. So they do. And like the scene is perfect because like he's fighting all these mooks that are just on motorcycles with a mecha. And like it's presented that way because they're going like, oh shit, it's a fucking robot and it's stomping on us and popping our heads off. Oh shit. And it's great. Nice. Yeah. Um, episode four of Megalobox. Ooh, do tell. Uh, basically, you know the premise of Megalobox was like, oh yeah, they they box, but with like robot attachments, so they can punch harder. Yeah. Well, basically, our main character Joe is getting into the big boxing tournament, but they don't have the money to get a ro- set of robot arms to help them. So what they do is they basically use that as marketing in order to get him bigger matches so we can have an easier time getting onto the main uh, That is an excellent strategy. Because he doesn't have gear. So they go like, oh man, if he went, so they like plan it so he wins like his first three, and so the last two of the five that he needs to get into the tournament go like, oh shit, this guy's a hot shit. If I beat him, I become hot shit. Hmm. So it's like all this kind of stuff, and it's like, oh man, this is this is dope because it's like clever and he uses his skill because he's much better at footwork than he is at punching. It's dope. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, and speaking of more old shit, I watched the first episode of Space Sheriff Gavin. Holy shit, dude! I've seen all of that. How'd you like it? The first episode is super exposition. I know. <laughs> it is like. Because I've seen the first episode of Kamen Rider Ichigo, which is older than uh, Gavin. And yeah. I'm like, shit, this, that, epi- that was not as exposition heavy. Did they just lose confidence in their audience? Or did they just think this was such high concept that they had to explain every little detail? I think it's partially that, and I think it's also partially the style of it. Because there's certain things that they will just always stop to explain. Like, the thing in Gavin's transformation sequence where it's like, now let's let's see that in slow motion and show you how it actually works. That happens almost every episode. See, no, that's that part I'm fine with. It's it was like like the part that kind of it wasn't bugging me, but it was just more like, huh, that's weird. Um, was like the last little bit when they're going like, oh yeah, now Gavin will be on Earth and protect it instead of just having Gavin like show that he's living on Earth and show mm. they just tell us and it's like, oh. I guess I get it, but like, uh. yeah, it's cool. I like it. I'm gonna watch more of it. And I'm sorry to say this, but I need to pee again. I'll be right back. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'll just quickly talk some more to say, like, Space Sheriff is low key one of my favorite side toku things. I w- I wish it had actually gotten the revival it was trying to get a few years ago, where we had the the next generation movies and those kind of petered out and didn't really sell the way Toei wanted. I was really hoping those would lead to a show where it was like, one episode uh, is about Gavin doing a case, and the next episode is about new Sharivan doing a case, next episode is about new Shider doing a case, and then the fourth episode is about um, suffering from each of those cases 
all tying together into one case that all three of the sheriffs have to work on and just lather, rinse, repeat that format until the end of the show when you realize it's all been building to one big case that's like a four-part episode finale for them to deal with. I thought that could have made for a really good show, but fortunately we never got that. But, uh, eh, you know, you can't get everything you want. I think that's a song. Uh, how's, how's it go? You can't always get what you want. I think Chris is coming back now. Chris, please help me. I'm stalling. And I don't have the best singing voice for this song. All right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Space Sheriff Gavin. I'm excited to see more. Cool. And I, I kind of just picked it up because I was going like, you know what? I'm... Really digging the old ass anime, if you haven't been able to tell. Um, yeah. So I thought, you know what? Let me watch an old ass Tokusatsu. And I didn't just want to watch a Kamen Rider. So I was like, fuck it. Let me watch Metal Hero. Let's see what that's like. Um, I've also watched Brave Command Dagwon Episode 3. Ooh. Um, it's the first of the Brave series. Uh, but this episode, the leader moral leader dude gets like sick or something so the other three member uh, other four members of the team basically have to like step up and actually fight the bad guy without having to rely on uh deus ex leader powers nice so they become giant robots themselves like the leader guy did so it's like pretty cool it's like yeah dope it's pretty cool hmm. i watched the first episode of initial d Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Funny about that. Because Funimation has all of... Uh, I'm pretty sure Funimation has all of Initial D up on YouTube. So it's like, okay, let's watch that. It's a really washed out anime. Oh. Like it started in the late 90s, but the like the color palette is like very washed out. That's I mean, interesting. Yeah. It gets better. I've seen later uh, clips, but like it's, re it's strangely washed out this first episode. Um, and they're really hiding that the main character is good at drifting. <laughs> because... That's gonna be a big reveal, is, like, he, he is Drift King. I think it's it's revealed in the next episode, hmm. because they kind of reveal it at the end of this, because, uh, they work, the main character and his best friend work at a gas station to save up money to, because the best friend wants to buy a car. I didn't know this anime was about me. <laughs> Um, and their boss goes like, yo, no, no, who's the best driver? He was, a, he would, he drove when I used to drive around and do street racing. He's dope. Um, and it turns out it's main character's dad. And he goes like, yo, I've been hearing that you've been uh, making the rounds up the mountain again in, uh, in your, in your car. And he goes like, nope, that wasn't me. That's my son. And the dude goes like, shit, motherfucker, because I've been seeing what's going down and he's fucking great shit damn and it's like ooh, ooh! i can't wait to see it because he also drives like uh, an older toyota that's done up like a tofu delivery car nobody <laughs> suspects it to be a drift machine like even the main character dude doesn't realize he's drifting as a racing thing because he, he his dad just went like all right you do this this and this 
and he needed to do the deliveries this fast. So he's just been driving this car over and over and over again and getting really good at racing because he wanted to make a time limit for delivering tofu. Hmm. So it's like, oh shit, it's very much like wax on, wax off kind of uh, teaching. Yeah. Um, and he's like bored of all the, like, he's just bored by all the cars and stuff because he doesn't see the appeal in it because he doesn't know he's a race car driver yet. So we're basically waiting for a spurred eye to open. Yeah. And like, there's a cool moment where he's in the back seat of this other guy, and he's drifting up the mountain, and he's like screaming his head off. And you're going like, "Oh, he's a p- wussy." And I think I, and I've already seen the episode too, like forever ago, so I remember bits of it. He was screaming his head off because he was he was drifting in a very sloppy manner because he had to drift his car with an open glass of water without spilling it. So okay. he's very smooth. So it's like. It, it felt crazy to him because he's used to smooth ass drifting. It's like fuck yeah. Hmm. Um, and the final thing I watched uh, this month, uh, this week, I said almost a month. Jesus, hmm. I watched episode two of Jushin Liger. Ooh. Um, the dude never once mentioned the girl that died in the first episode, <laughs> as you do in the animes. In the old ass Japanese shows, um, you know that's a thing in the first episode of Common Rider. Is, is some scientist dies and it's played up as like the big, big it's, it's like the Batman's parents' mo- dying moment for Hongo, and it's like this is what's going to motivate his entire career as a writer. And then very next episode, he's just a happy race boy again. Yeah, um, but two psychic girls roll up into town. And they're kind. Of, they they they're hinting at oh we know something about uh, Jushin Liger and all this kind of stuff. But they never once talk to the guy the kid because they go like hey, he's a fucking kid whatever. Um, and it is very old like tropey anime because the young main character goes to like live up the skirt of like the tomboy esque girl, and she like moves his hand to lift up the other girl's skirt. And he's like, and he's like, that's not fair. I wanted to lift up your skirt. And she's like, what does it matter? You saw, you saw panties either way. And he's like, that's not the point. Like, I wanted to perv on you specifically. That's the point. And it's like, Jesus Christ. It's amazing how anime w- was still making the same meta jokes forty fucking years ago. It's from the eighties. Is that forty fucking years? It's forty fucking years. Shit. Uh huh. Um, and we're coming it, up on the 45th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back, motherfucker. Damn. Um, but uh, giant monster attacks, he turns into the bio mecha because it's a, like an organic mecha, it's not like robot, it's like flesh, which is weird and grody. Hmm. Um, but he saves the day. Grandpa comes out of the hospital, sees the two girls, and goes, like, Okay, there's shit we need to talk about setting up the third episode and he like gropes the young teenage girls boot butts and it's like jesus christ old perverted man that but that's back when that joke was still kind of fresh in anime that's back before dragon ball made everybody aware of it uh so yeah that's jushin liger um still no wrestling yet it's weird (laughs) 
I imagine that happens see? like halfway through. Like that was probably like this this manga is failing. We need something to save it. We need a drastic change. I know. Wrestling. Probably not. I think it's just an inspired Jushin Thunder Liger. Hmm. Next time I'm gonna watch a Jushin Thunder Liger match and play it off like I watched an episode of Jushin Liger. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's what I watched this month. A lot of old ass anime. Hold on, let's let's see something. That's an old anime, old anime, old anime, old anime, new anime, old tokusatsu, old anime, old anime, old anime. I watched eight old animes, one new anime. Oh hey, that's good. That means you're not like constantly caught up in being part of the discussion. That means you're going back and looking for shit you actually know you're gonna enjoy. I'm watching a lot of just tropey shit though. Like I don't think anybody say this is like on the level of cowboy bebop. But are but dude, are you having fun with it? Are you are you like Oh fuck yeah. Fuck you. Then what then what's the point of I'm... trying to find something better? If you're fully, if you're getting your time's worth, I'll be, I'll be one of the three old ass anime talkers on YouTube. There's Bennett the Sage. There's Kyoto Animation. No, it's Kyoto. It's Kyoto something. He's a dope dude. I watch his videos. Kyoto somewhere. video. Kyoto video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That dude. He, he, he desperately needs new, more subscribers. He's great. Mm-hmm. Like his, his videos are top notch. Um, and then they'll be me. Nice. Well, um, I decided to fucking knuckle down, and I only watched one thing this week, but it was because I watched 20 episodes of it. I finished Kamen Rider Build. Did it build up to a good climax? It did build up to a good climax. It's a good show, and I like it. Um, I I think currently my top five writer shows are going to be Kuga, X-Aid, this wizard and then drive nice um and it uh, and like honestly i might i was going to put it before x8 but i think x8 has better aesthetics than this show does like the base rider suits are all really cool all the best matches as they're called but i don't like the the stuff the belt says i don't feel like it's interesting and fun and diverse enough i think the music is very lackluster in this show and just a lot of the the general look and feel of things feels very just plain good show um there's a few times where it gets really artsy fartsy directory like the episode i talked about last time uh, right after Bill kills his first person, like there's some really good directing in that episode, and that crops up again a few times. But uh, over overall, it is a very plain, um, plain feeling show. And outside of Bill's base best matches, uh, the the suits don't ever get really good again, um, except for Tank Tank, the 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 penultimate uh, build form one of the two penultimate build forms because there's rabbit rabbit and tank 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 is my favorite form in the whole show and i'm really pissed off they only made one figure of it and it's in a box set that's hard to get um like there's no figure art there's a there's a build change that comes in a wave with a bunch of other build changes and i can't find it being sold on its own anywhere um, i just love that name tank tank mm-hmm. uh and uh 
fucking like yeah i don't because you said you were gonna try and watch it now like i don't want to drop too many spoilers at this point because i don't i talked about two episodes out of like 10 that i watched last time so i'd have to talk about a fuck ton of shit if i was gonna summarize the whole everything i watched since then uh but i'll just say like it's a really good show that really understands uh writer and like Japanese tropes and whatnot, and is really going like this is the this is basically the end of the era. Like Geo is still happening, but Geo is going to be another decade. It's going to be a party show. We're not going to really have time to get all thoughtful and introspective about what Heisei was about. So we have to do that, and we have to do a lot of really cool commentary. And there's a lot of really nice attention to detail and intersecting plot lines and like there's five or six different takes i could have on just what the overall theme of this show is which goes to show just how intricate the writing is here and that that's what i think makes build so good is the writing both on a character and on a plot level um i feel like this is a show if you were um a career video essayist, you could probably eat like 10 video essays on this, like 10 different 10, 15 minute videos out of it. Um, great, great show. If you're a fan of writer, I would highly recommend it. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're not super into writer, I'd say like start with something else as your first show. Uh, but uh, this is definitely like a good third or fourth show. But yeah, I highly enjoyed it, and I don't have much else to say about it without going into heavy, heavy spoilers, because um, most of the stuff I've been thinking about since finishing it is stuff that happens in the last three episodes. So, uh, Chris, why don't you tell me what you've been reading this week? Well, I've been continuing reading Thatch Bell. I haven't finished it yet, but I've uh, just read a little bit more. Nice. Yeah, just more typical shown in action. Pretty dope. Mm. Uh, I've also started reading, uh, this is the English name for it, uh, not the Japanese, Amazing Stranger 16th, uh, 1-6. Hmm. Basically, uh, Otaku Dude buys an anime figure. It comes to life. What and kind they of start... anime figure are we talking about here? Um, Space Robot Girl in a Bikini. Okay. It comes to life. And they basically start dating? So this is the Indian in the cupboard porn parody. They're, they don't get that explicit. Okay. Mainly because he's a full-size dude and she's a one-six scale figure. Okay, so it literally is Indian in the cupboard. That's great. Um, a bunch of other girl figures show up. And basically, the whole premise, uh, the, they reveal that... The the whole reason these anime figures are coming to life is because the person who's been building them knows how to use this one weird material to turn statues to life. Because oh. she is the descendant of the artist who made the Pygmalion figure from Greek mythology. Interesting. And because of one of the anime figures comes from an anime where she can transfer dimensional barriers... She can take the dude into their animes and video games. 
So oh. he goes into the video game of one of the girls who's like like a Dragon Quest hero, but a girl. And they do the whole thing and it, they explore and it's weird because they explore like how he didn't want to stop playing the game, so he did every single little tiny side quest that he could and get every single weapon and complete it 100%. But see, here's the thing. There's a, a mini-boss before the main big boss who gets more powerful the more time you play the game. So basically, he borked his gameplay because he can never beat that boss because he took so long doing everything else because he didn't want to beat the game. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Um, and he takes her, uh, her through all that, and she's like the Buzz Lightyear of the group. She doesn't believe she's a toy at first. She's going like, I'm this weird world with giants. It's strange. <laughs> but eventually she figures out and accepts it. And like, there's this like, weird bit of stuff, and like the main figure girl is from an anime where she dies at the end, and the, the dude never told her the end of her anime because he didn't want her to feel weird about it. I was going to say, does she remember dying? Is that no. weird? Does she have PTSD? No, she watches it and she's like, okay. She's, she acts like, oh no, everything's fine. Everything's cool. I heard an airplane. I was going, what the fuck was that? Okay, I thought you were building up to some big dramatic reveal. Oh no, she basically asked the, uh, the, the one girl who can do the dimensional stuff to send her back to her anime right before the final episode where she dies <laughs> because she feels like that's where, like, it was a weird thing. A lot of weird stuff evolved with it. But the dude followed her in, and he was like, you're your own person now. This, you are not just a character from the anime. You are your own person now. You are more than that. Hmm. Well, that sounds like a pretty cool story. Yeah. And there's there was a whole underlying thing of um, she never got to see him eye to eye because he's always been full size human. She's been one six scale human, and now that he's in the anime, she can see him eye to eye, and it's like, oh shit, you're handsome. Hmm. Because all like all the figures crush on him. He has a harem of one six size girls. <laughs> <laughs> so so he's basically all of us, but not sad and pathetic. Uh, no, he's still kind of sad and pathetic. Um, but that's the end of the first manga, but it did get a sequel and I read the first chapter and it was just more of like the slice of life, more of the same, but you know what? The characters were fun. So I can't, I can't be angry about it. Also the dude who made the figures, his best friend basically hired, basically has a figure company and that's where he got the figures from. And he finds out that the girl who's been making the figures come to life is working for him and they fall in love. So he gets a girlfriend and that's adorable. Aww. Yeah. It's all kind of cool. Um, also, just because I've just been reading a lot of manga, and I and I read so much manga, typically, that it'd be dumb to put everything I've read into this list. I just parsed it down to one I've read this week. <laughs> uh, uh, which is Ashige Shoujo uh, Komora-san. Hmm. Um, the best way to describe this is it's a rom-com but the gimmick is the main female character is a circus performer. Not just a circus performer. She's an acrobat. And not just an acrobat. An acrobat that specializes in using her feet. So much so that she uses her feet more than her hands. It is a foot fetish manga. 
Japan. Yeah, I'm not reading it for the fetish stuff. Fuck that. I'm reading it because they're adorable and it's funny. That that that's like the description you give for everything you read, though. I'm reading it because they're adorable and it's funny. Which yeah. is, which I admit is a good enough reason to read anything. Yeah, but it's just kind of like. Oh, the dude, like, they set up the situation that you go, like, oh, this is going to be the normal situation. Oh, she made him lunch. Oh, she's going to want to feed it to him. Oh, here's the chopsticks. Oh, wait a second. They're attached to feet. Also, like, because she's from a long line of circus performers, they have this weird tradition that whoever kisses her foot is betrothed to her and they have to get married. So the first chapter, she slips and her foot lands in his mouth because, of course, it does. So, so it's it's more it's more about these two people who wouldn't have ended up together learning to like each other, but they find out they're really compatible anyway. No, that's more of like a background detail. It's just like, hmm. oh yeah, by the way, they're kind of betrothed in her mind, but not in his. So everyone oh, he doesn't while, know about it yet. No, he knows about it, but he just like waved it off as like, ah, well, it was a mistake. It doesn't really matter. And she's like, no, you're my fiance. And every once in a while, she brings it up and goes like, oh, shit, yeah, fuck right. Um, That's weird, but you're cute, whatever. And, like, there's a public morals girl in the school who says, like, no, don't use your feet. It's gross. And, like... Wait, it's a school manga? Yes. Don't circuses normally travel? Uh, She's going to high school because of reasons I don't remember. Okay. (laughs) um but that's kind of it uh that's basically it this is like here's a premise like one of the chapters she she kind of sprained her ankles and it's nothing dangerous she just needs to stay uh she just needs to relax her use of them for the next few days but she is such in the habit of using her feet for like opening doors feeding herself writing her notes everything that she she can't even just use her hands. She won't think of using her hands. So the dude has to do everything for her, and it's funny. It's shit. It's good. Wow. It's good. It's good fucking weirdly wholesome manga, and that's my kind of shit. It's the stuff that you go like, that is pure fetish fuel. Why is this wholesome? <laughs> nice. That's uh... my kind of shit. Well, I only read one thing this week, and it was the next book in the Hollow series. Uh, book number seven we're on at this point, uh, which is White Witch, Black Curse. And it's basically set up for the next book while also doing a kind of uh, criminal of the week type story about a banshee who used a leprechaun's wish to be able to fall in love with a human because... Banshee children can normally only be held by their mothers because otherwise they suck all the emotion out of anyone else and kill them. But because of her leprechaun wish, her human husband can hold her child. And she wants to use her child and she wants to have a bunch more kids and try and have Banshees become the new dominant supernatural species in the world. And our main characters have to hunt her down and catch her and stop her before she can do that. But also there's this baby caught in the middle of it, so there's a lot of logistic questions of what are we going to do with this baby that no one can hold, and how do we... And we don't want the, the, the social system to screw it over, or 
anything and ah, kind of running for the book. And uh, it's pretty good. I like I liked that we we went back. It feels like the format for this series is like two heavy main series plot books and then a sort of month in the life book with set up for the next two he- plot heavy books. And I kind of dig that. Um, so I, I enjoyed this one a good bit as sort of like a, a breath of fresh air before we get back to plot, 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 plot. And, uh, yeah, that's about all I have to say about it. Uh, Chris, you've been playing anything this week? I have been playing some things, mostly video games, because that's what I play. Hey. Um, I've been playing, uh, I started up, uh, Persona 3 Fez. Or uh, festival, as it's actually where the short for. Hmm. Uh, do you know you know the Persona stuff, right? I know of Persona, and I know things about Persona. I wouldn't say I know Persona. Uh, it's spooky. You summon personas in this game. You shoot yourself in the head. Hmm. Um. Spooky. Like it's Persona. There's social links, so there's like dating some ass-esque things. Yes, it's a JRPG. Um, hmm. the weird thing about Persona 3 is like all your party members are like AI controlled. You can't directly control them. That's interesting. Yeah. And like a lot of people complain about it, and yeah, it, it makes it a harder game. But ultimately, I think it makes a better story because the whole point of the story is connecting with other people. And so, if you don't have direct control over your party, you have to like you have to talk to them. You have to give them AI commands, which makes sense. Um, and I found my PlayStation One memory card, so I'm playing Metal Gear Solid with the ability to actually save. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's what I've been playing. Very clean. Uh, I played two more levels of Transformers War for Cybertron's Decepticon campaign. Uh, really, really fun, just shoot 'em up, uh, kind of action with some fun prequel story. Um, uh, obviously, the first level is about Megatron. I think everybody knows what that first level is because even if you haven't played the game, you've seen like a playthrough of the first level or some some such sort of guide or something. But the first level is Megatron goes and infiltrates uh, a station, or which I believe is Trypticon's station, but they don't really do anything with that in this game. That has Dark Energon on it, and he gets that, and also he recruits Starscream and the Seekers and. Jetfire fucks off because he ain't about that Decepticon life. Um, and then the second level is the Seekers having to prove their worthiness to Megatron by basically flying around Cybertron's sewers and then getting a um, Energon transportation system online so Megatron can infect different parts of Cybertron with Dark Energon. And then level three is Megatron and a group of Decepticons infiltrating Iacon to take on. Zeta Prime, which is a character I'd never heard of before and I think was invented for this game. I'm not sure. He might have been from like a comic or something beforehand. Uh, but uh, they're, they're looking for something called the Omega Key. 
And I didn't even think about it until the reveal happened because it just, like, Omega Key just sounds like, yeah, generic space MacGuffin, it's Transformers, whatever. But the end reveal of that level, after they kill Zeta Prime and get the Omega Key, is like his last words are like, oh yeah, that's just the device to activate the Omega Key. The actual Omega Key is already on its way here. And the level ends with a big cutscene of, like, Omega Supreme turning on and turning into this cool space jet and f- and flying off towards Megatron, and it's like, oh shit, the boss of the next level is going to be Omega Supreme. I'm both hyped and terrified for that. So it's a, it's, it's a pretty good time, too. Um, I, I feel like I fully have the handle on the controls now, so switching between modes and um, getting around is really cool. Like, there's this one part in that third level where you're infiltrating Icon where you have to go through basically Cybertronian subways and you need to go in vehicle mode because otherwise you're going to get run over by Cybertron trains that are carrying around other robots. Um, and it's it's basically like a, a race level where you're racing the other Decepticons and it's it's really fun, especially if you're playing as anyone besides Megatron because Megatron is a tank in this game, but the other two characters you can play on on that level are cars. So I chose to play as Soundwave and the boost effect that you turn on in the in the vehicle mode is super fun to, to drive around with. And, uh, yeah, I think that pretty much does it for what we've been up to this week. But, uh, Chris, are you feeling saucy? Do you want to go to a special bonus stage this week? Bonus round! SDCC, what are you hype about, my dude? I haven't been keeping up with a ton of it. I've been kind of, like, newsfeeding it. Um, but some of the WWE figures are, like, nice. Um, the NXT fam and Becky will be mine. Um, like I even 1980s think... Vince McMahon can come, too. Yeah, back when Vince McMahon wasn't Mr. McMahon. Yeah. Um, I dig the Master of the Universe uh, sets. So like, oh, that's kind of neat. That's cool. I, yeah. I can dig it. It's not, it's so not for me, but also I'm just one of those people who's always looked at Master of the Universe and gone like, there's maybe three characters in there I think look cool. I'm never going to check out the media. I'd maybe one day buy a figure of one of the characters I think look cool. And guess what? I'm one of those guys who just goes like, eh, Skeletor's cool because memes and skeleton dude. Uh, I've seen a dope ass, uh, like, one six scale master at arms, which looked pretty dupe. Mm. Um, but a lot of them looked really cool. Um, I, I dug, I dug some of the flashback designs where it's just like, oh yeah, this is some older costume that we never got around to. Yeah, that's that's nice. I wow. like the complete. There was like a couple of complete ones that were really dope. We're getting um, a Kofi WrestleMania, which will be cool, and also Daniel Bryan as heel WWE champion, which means. They're gonna. We're gonna have a wooden WWE Championship accessory. Oh yeah, they've also confirmed that they started making twenty four sevens. Twenty four seven belts. I hope every um, figure just comes with a twenty four seven belt from now on. That'd be hilarious. Um, I dug AOP Drake Maverick. That looked pretty dope. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of cool things to like. I like. There was one of them that had like a lot of cool accessories that wasn't like 
You had Undertaker Kane, which was kind of cool. Um, I'm going to go through the, the, the list of WWE release that you posted. Yeah. That Kyrie Sane looks really choice. Oh, yeah. Also, Kyrie Sane's new um, ring gear is pretty dope, too. Hmm. I like that we're getting uh, what's his what's his name? Uh, both Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano, based on oh, which takeover is it? One of them, one of them pay per views. Yeah, but um, a lot of cool shit. Adam Cole, uh, Adam Cole, baby, looks really dope. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the elite stuff it just has like a lot of cool stuff. Did you see the news that uh, dropped like just a little bit earlier today um, that Super 7 got the license to do New Japan figures? Ooh, fuck. Yeah, and Super 7 are the guys that have been doing those new redone Filmation He-Man figures. Yeah, the the ones that have like good articulation and shit. Mm-hmm. EC3 looks pretty cool. I'm, I'm digging all the Balors. All the Balors are pretty dope. Was there a Keith Lee in there? Uh, no, I didn't see. I don't think there's a Keith Lee. There's a Cassius, Cassius Ono. Yes, that's right. Cassius Ono. Definitely want him. And like, I uh, love that they're doing a... this. They're doing Demon Finn Balor with shit tons of accessories. The Ray Mis- several several of the Ray Mysterios look pretty dope. We got Blue Shinsuke. We got um, a bunch of new Basics guy, which don't have chest articulation. They just have arms and legs. Yeah. Uh, which are good for kids to bash around and beat each other up with. Oh, there is a Keith Lee, but it's basic. Uh, I'd still buy it just because Keith Lee. There's a basic uh, Matt Riddle. Nice. Uh, da, da, da. Oh, I there's... have seen all of these. I'm just, I, I went through them really quick. So now I'm being reminded of them by Chris. Uh, we're getting a new battle pack of the New Day with some pancakes. Mmm. Uh, elite two pack AJ Styles Finn Balor both with uh, two sweet hands. I like that they're doing elite two packs now. That's that's uh, really great that the elite line is kind of slowly getting more and more prominence. Rey Mysterio as Mysterio. Yeah, from his his five seconds wearing that gear at WrestleMania this year. Uh, Samoa Joe with yes. his uh with his uh Chaka Bra hands. Mm. New Batista, new Becky Lynch, Buddy Murphy, old school Christian from the Brood. Yeah, they're doing. They said they want to do a lot of old school figures this year because it's coming up on like the Elite series is like twentieth anniversary or something like that. So they want to do like a bunch of like the most popular characters that they that they either haven't gotten to or didn't do too well in the past. So there's like uh, a new Stone Cold, a new Shawn Michaels, a new Rock. Uh, a new Gorilla Monsoon. Um, I'm digging the Lucha House Party guys. They look pretty dope. Lince Dorado looks fucking amazing. Mm. A new Hurricane figure. Yeah. Uh, Jim the Anvil Nightheart. With a new Natalia. Mm. Um, Lacey Evans, Mandy Rose, Pete Dunn looks pretty dope. Um, another Rey Mysterio, new Rick Rude, a, cl- a good old school Roderick Strong, uh, a bunch of dope shit. 
Um, ooh, a viscera. Yeah. He just look, he looks really cool. Uh, the Undertaker as Kane. Uh, also, we're getting a new China figure. Oh, I forgot about that. I'm so hyped for that. First one in 19 years. Whoa. A new Sting figure. Uh, Which Sting is it? I can't tell. I forgot. I think it's Crow Sting because it doesn't have a paint job, but it has the pads on his tights. Like, I know Crow Sting is supposedly the cooler Sting, but honestly, after watching Brian Zane review so many old WCW pay-per-views, I want Surfer Sting more than I want Crow Sting. Uh, Ultimate Demon Balor. Uh, he has the headdress, he has the arm things, he has two heads, one with the tongue, one without, and he has clawing hands so he can crawl. Yeah. Uh, Ultimate Triple H, that was the other one I was thinking of. Um, it has a chainmail vest, uh, the old Attitude Era belt, uh, sledgehammer, several heads, his hat from the Attitude Era. Yeah. Several different hands. Um, Ooh, that uh, new... I can't believe I'm saying this, but that new Alicia Fox looks good. Oh, yeah. She has a hat, a new Woken Matt Hardy, mm-hmm. a new Mick Foley as Cactus Jack, uh, old wrestling uh, guy, um, WWE Ghostbusters line. Okay, fine, if you must. It's basically The Rock and Austin with their typical gear, but it's in green letters. And then you have Shawn Michaels and John Cena and Ghostbusters colors and a translucent Undertaker. That's it. Yeah. Also, there's two different new Jeff Hardys coming out. Uh, Oh, no. Steve Austin and The Rock have uh, jumpsuits. John Cena is the weird one out because he doesn't have anything else. (laughs) Nice. But yeah, there's two Jeff Hardys. There's an Elite collection that's him in one of the various face paints he's done recently. And then there's one of him from the Attitude Era where he's got like the dreadlocks and a bunch of weird arm shit. Yeah, but they're basically making a bunch of uh, wrestling Master of the Universe. And they're looks like they're kind of turning John Cena into the He-Man of the line. Because he also has like an evil clone. Hmm. With knuckles on, like, n- like brass knuckles that say word life. And, like, a weird tape deck. And he's blue. It's like a weird mock-up. That actually sounds really appropriate. Um, a Macho Man, uh, Rey Mysterio with wings. Like, that's what made me interested. Because it's like, it's like, oh, this is cool. They're just taking these characters and expanding on them in a Master of the Universe kind of way. It's neat. Um, um, Unicron looks pretty dope. Yes, the biggest of boys has finally gotten the biggest of figures as he deserves, and I'm staying far the fuck away from that because I'm trying to pay off a credit card right now, and uh, not only can I not afford the $600 price tag, which I know people are like, it's it's probably going to be $600 after shipping if we're lucky, um, but also that thing is huge. It would take up half of my dining room table to display it in robot mode. There's no way I'm going to have, I'm going to have room for it. Um, like maybe if I had my own place and I had a big ass detolf, maybe, 
But uh, no, I'm I'm content to stand from afar and look on uh, proudly of this thing I did not make. It's fucking dope, though. Mm-hmm. My friend's been sending me the the my friend sent me the fucking meme image of taking the mouth from the planet and putting it on a flashlight. <laughs> yeah. Because that was the thing. It was they have that gimmick of the geared opening mouth, and people were like, "I'm gonna fuck Unicron," and. It's like, please don't fuck your Unicron. And then you come back with, well, it's a $700 toy. I'm going to do what I want with it. Please don't fuck it, though. (laughs) I'd rather not live in a world where I know that happened. See, I can't decide which side of the joke I'm on. Oh, no, Uh, make the joke. It's a hilarious joke. But then, at the same time, they also low-key revealed... The other planet former is getting a new toy. And it's much smaller. But. Did you not notice? No, I didn't. Rung? Oh yeah, Rung. Because for those of you not in the know about them IDW comics, it's revealed towards the end of Mortem Meets the Eye, Rung is the reincarnation of Primus. Yeah, he uh he sings uh Big Beaver. Yeah, but I'm talking about the band. Mhm. But yeah, first official rung toy. Really cool. And it's it's one of those little battle masters, so he just kind of turns into a gun, which I guess is fine because like what are you going to do with rung? He technically doesn't have an alt mode, but then uh also rap bat and rumble and presumably we're eventually going to get uh, Buzzsaw and Frenzy, or maybe one of the other cassettes randomly. That's cool. And then uh, Power Rangers Legacy. Oh boy. Some neat things happening. Yeah. I, I love how... Like, Magna Defender is the obvious star of the wave, because, like, so far on Legacy Collection, they have, like, this cool guy slot where, Wave 1, we're giving you the Shadow Ranger. Wave 2, here's the Magna Defender. And I think it's been rumored for Wave 3, they're gonna do uh, a single-pack release of the Gold Ranger as uh, um, with a tray of Triforia head. Um, and... If you look at the ca- the actual shots of Magna Defender in the display case, all the other figures are like doing these serious, cool action gu- gunfight poses. Magna Defender's just waving his arms and shooting up into the sky because he's so happy he's getting a new figure. And it's adorable. Hmm. Also, randomly, the hardest ever to find Japanese exclusive G1 cassettes are getting a G1 reissue at Walmart. So it's nice to see that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's basically all I have to say with SDCC. It was very toy-focused SDCC this year for me. The only real media thing I paid attention to was I watched the Top Gun trailer, and it looked okay. I made this joke on Twitter, but it basically looks like if Star Trek II was about an act, a character in the actual military. Um, and then, uh, 
I think the only other thing to say to properly close out this show would be uh, pray for Kyo, Annie. Yeah. Uh, so this is going to be released several weeks later, but today um, Keanu, uh, Kyo Annie was the victim of an arson, which was taking the life of 33 people uh, last time I looked. Has the guy stated his motivation at all? Um, not that I've seen. I think I've seen some people said they saw that it was he felt that Kiyoani plagiarized him, but he was not mentally sane and stable and sound. Um, so that may be it, but don't quote me, and I won't quote them. And also, uh, fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck it. Um. Yeah, no, for those of you who aren't in the know in the anime community, Kyo Annie always produces really, really quality work. They only make like one show every two years because they treat their animators like actual, well-respected employees. In the anime industry, animators are kind of basically drawing slaves, to put it in the nicest way I possibly can. Um... Kyo Annie, that doesn't happen. You're allowed to work at your own pace. You're given an actual fair wage. And there's a deadline. Th- and a fair deadline. Yeah, and there's vacation like, don't, time and shit. Like, they're, they're still a company. They're still looking to make a profit. And so, by that extension, they still kind of take advantage of their animators. But at least it's better than fucking Toei. Yeah, there's an understanding there. Rather than just being, this is the way it is. If you don't like it, get the fuck out. And they and they've taken their time to train new animators and like from everything I've seen, they are the least dickhead of dickheads. And like whenever they start a new project, the the anim the like head director person will come up with like a few references of this is the kind of stuff I want to sh- sh- have as the architectural theme of this show. And then the entire animation staff will get a field trip out to that location to go and look at it and actually see what they'll be drawing. Yeah. Kiyoani is one of the better people, Mm -hmm. one of the better organizations. So it's literally the least deserving company in the anime industry for this to happen to, in my opinion. Um, Especially because uh, the day after the arson was supposed, uh, was happening, they were supposed to be announcing details for their next animated movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Which was another free spinoff. And now, literally half their animators are dead. So, we're probably not going to see anything from them for a long time. And, like, that's... Out out of people dying, that's probably the least tragic aspect of it. But, like, goddamn. This this whole situation just sucks. And my, my heart... Like, I am not a religious person at all, but my heart goes out to any anyone who knew the people who perished or were hurt in this fire. Yep. Coming from two dopey-ass Americans. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sad thing happens, but uh, it's gotta get back up. Don't dwell on it. The guy I wanted to get noted, I haven't even heard his name. Fuck him. Neither have I. Good. Uh, good. Um, you know, all all the best to those who survived, and I hope to see um, 
I'll watch. I hope. I hope to see anime. those. I hope, hope to see those hot anime boys from free sometime soon. Yeah, I never thought I would say this, but I'm. I am. I am very much looking forward to seeing the next installment of the Gay Swan Boy Saga. But yeah, that was Kiyoani. And this was Analogical Fanboys. Yes, it was. Why are you taking over hosting <laughs> duties hostily? <laughs> fucking, it's your turn to say your shit, bro. Plug your shit, you fucking whatever. I'm Chris Boingle Writer Gaston. I do video editorials. You can find them on YouTube at Boingle Writer. I am on Twitter at Boingo underscore writer. I am on Instagram at Boingo underscore writer. And if you want to, you can join my Discord server. The link to that is in the description. I am Simeon the Vacuuminator Scott. I make all kinds of videos about all kinds of things. My channel is currently in reruns because I am consolidating the like five different channels I used to have down into one because, uh, hey, having five different channels for the different kinds of videos you want to make, turns out that's not actually good for YouTube algorithm optimization. But uh, hey, go and check me out. I'm at youtube.com slash the vacuuminator. If you want to keep up with the things I'm doing when I'm doing them, Go and follow me on Twitter at The Vacuuminator and on Instagram at The Vacuuminator. And hey, if you want to keep up with this podcast and all the stuff about it as it's happening, well, it so happens to be a production of Modular Media. So why don't you go ahead and subscribe to the Modular Media channel right down there below. Ring that bell icon to get your all your notifications and whatnot. Like, comment, subscribe, all that bullshit. But most important. Lee, if you want to listen to the show on the go, you can download MP3s from the Google Drive folder that is linked in the video description. You can follow us on Twitter for updates about the show as we have them at the Modular Media. And you can subscribe to our subreddit for updates as we go uh, and other fun meme bullshit, which is r slash Modular Media. And uh, we will see you next time here on Analytical Fanboys when we will be discussing... Klaus. Ooh. The Santa Claus comic. Yeah, I have actually had a lot of interest in this since it came out. I've just never gotten around to it. And I believe it's it's uh it's by Grant Morrison. It's basically Grant Morrison doing what if Santa was a superhero? And he and I assume we're gonna be talking about the the like five or six issue mini that was the origin of Klaus. That started it. Am I correct? This was your suggestion. Yeah, I I just read it once and I never looked much more deeper into it. So, well, since then, basically every December since then, Grant Morrison has released a Klaus one shot that's like one or two stories with yeah. the character. Um. So yeah, uh, we're probably gonna talk about that six issue mini and have a good time, uh, being like we like Grant Morrison as we often do, and. Uh, until then, uh, we will see you later on the Analytical Fanboys podcast. And I've gotten really long-winded and tired and burpy all of a sudden for some reason. Ugh. And on that note, bye.